It'll be a sweet time kind of at the beginning of our service. We'll have lots of grandparents and friends there to, to support. Um, so that will be next Sunday morning. Also, and this is kind of the main thing I need to talk to you about, is next week we will no longer be meeting in this room. So, yeah, I know. We have graduated. Uh, you can just look back and know why that was necessary. Uh, so they, uh, Holy Nativity, has uh, moved their service times to accommodate for us to be down there, which is a huge, huge blessing. Not only have they moved their service times, they couldn't really figure out one that worked for everybody, so they are having two services. So they're adding work to their load uh, to make room for us. So yeah, enormous blessing. Um, we uh, have been working on the logistics of that uh, with our sound team, having to order some new equipment with our worship crew. It's going to be very inconvenient for them, so be more thankful than ever, uh, and uh, with our setup team. So. Uh, we're working on all of that. We're keeping the same time, so it'll still be at 9 a.m., but it is going to change our morning a little bit, mostly because now we're going to be sandwiched between these two services. So uh, basically, they are going to have an 8 a.m. service that is just um, a sermon and communion, no worship. I imagine it'll just be a handful of people, uh, but people that couldn't do their later time. And so she says they'll be out of there by like 8.40. It'll be 8 to 8.40. So uh, our setup crew will already be here kind of prepping things and getting ready everything that we can uh, before we're allowed in there. And at 8.40, we'll go in, kind of do our final prep. Uh, I think our sound team will have everything to where it's mostly plug and play. We're not going to be pulling things out of closets everywhere. And... Um, uh, most of the things that we're doing, we can we can leave in there. Um, and so we'll have to do a pretty quick transition there. So uh, the benefit is there's a big foyer right outside, where, you know, much bigger than what we have right here. Um, and then there's also a much bigger room in the back. So just that it should be a little less overwhelming, especially for our guests coming in that don't want to stand shoulder to shoulder, uh, yelling their name at a bunch of strangers. Um, so excited about that. Um, and then their second service will be at 11. Uh, so we've typically been running from like 9 to 10, 20 or so anyway. The only difference is, is about half of you guys stand around and talk to each other till 1130, uh, which is, man, one of the things I love most about our church. Um, I remember Brad talking about going and visiting some other churches, and he was like, I was just amazed at how quickly like the entire sanctuary was empty, like service is over and everyone funnels out. And so I think that's one of the sweet things. It just tells me that you guys really love and want to be together. Um, but just we're not going to be able to do that right where we were during our service. So um, we will end at, you know, 10, 20, 10, 30, and then we'll have to pretty quickly get out. And so we'll come down here. We'll figure out how we want to set up this space and just kind of invite you guys and any of our guests to come down the hall and have fellowship in here so that they can have their service. She says it's pretty typical for their members, and this will tell you how they're different than us, pretty typical for their members to show up like 20 minutes early and go on in and pray and just kind of try to get their hearts and minds in the right place before their actual service starts. And um, so she wants us out of there as close to 1030 as possible. So we really will kind of have our service conclude, funnel out, have our fellowship down here, okay? 
Um, so what does that mean? More than ever, like punctuality matters on a Sunday morning. We've really tried, I think historically in our family of churches, it's like we say 10, but we mean 1015, right? Which means you're singing at like 1020. Um, and part of that's intentional. We have given time specifically of like, we want, we want people to connect and catch up and not just like run in and now I'm involved in this, you know, organized service. Um, but we're not going to really have that privilege. Typically, I've called, called you guys in at 9.05. We start at 9.10. Again, we're going to have to start at 9 uh, in order to have enough time for our service and not just be rushing through things. So, um, and then the last thing, we kind of need to figure out what we want to do with donuts and coffee. I know that's like our favorite thing about Sunday mornings. Uh, we can't take uh, food and drink in that sanctuary. They don't trust you with their pews and their beautiful red carpet down the middle. So we can do some of that in the foyer, but you wouldn't be able to take it in. And then we'll have that after service probably down here. So I feel like I covered that well. Is there anything that you guys have questions about? That you're confused about? Yeah. So it's just on the opposite side of the building from here. It's kind of the biggest space on this property. Um, but yeah, you just kind of walk down the main hall, and if you walk straight, you'll dead end into it. So, yeah. Uh, no, so yeah, you're welcome to enter through these doors, um, but we, you don't need to enter this side of the building anymore. We'll enter down there. Um, and I don't think we need to be as concerned about parking and protecting their spots, because They'll have an 8 a.m. service, and so anyone that needs to park close will already be there, and then we'll be funneling out, you know. Ideally, at least some of us will be leaving 30 minutes before their service starts, so, yeah. Anybody else? All right, cool. Well, I'm excited about it. I think the one reality is we, in our brains, have come up with a plan of this, like, 8 and 9 and 10 or 11 o'clock service. But we may do it once, one week or two weeks and realize for one reason or another of like, oh, this is not workable, right? Like this is chaotic or whatever. And so I would just tell you all that so you can kind of be flexible with us and know like, hey, we may change this again on you in two weeks. And uh, I don't worry too much. You guys uh, have always been super sweet and flexible about all of that. So, all right. If you have any questions, you know, again, always open for that. Just shoot me a text or email and and maybe it's something I hadn't thought about and need to. So the last thing I want to do before I jump in to my thoughts this morning is just pray for Mark's parents. Uh, they kind of had a tough week. His dad fell and fractured his pelvis in a few places. Um, I think one reason for praise was that it wasn't bad enough that he had to have surgery, which is like an 80-year-old man is the last thing he wants is to go under the knife. Um, so he's just going to be able to go through some rehab um, but his mom came down with COVID, and she already has COPD, and so she hasn't developed any pneumonia or anything yet, but that's obviously just concerning. So uh, I'm going to pray for them. If you'll join me in that and maybe add it to your prayer list this week, uh, that would be great. Uh, yeah, Lord, we just uh, pray specifically for Mark's mom and dad, just that she would bring full healing and wholeness. Uh, we know that... Uh, the things that feel really overwhelming and heavy and concerning to us uh, are just small things in comparison to your healing power. And uh, so, yeah, I pray that you would heal them. I pray that you would just give a divine peace to them, 
to know that they're going to be taken care of, and certainly to Mark and Sini as well. And I just pray that you'd fill them with your, uh, yeah, compassion and care that they can offer that to his parents. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been talking through our kind of five core values that we've selected as a church. I think the one thing that's obvious is that it's impossible to um, come up with some sort of list that encompasses everything we care about as Christians, right? Uh, So that's not the goal. The goal is to just come up with a few things that we think kind of uniquely encapsulate who God has made us, the things he's taught us, the things we're sensing of like, we want these to be important to you in the sense that they're going to give shape to your community, um, both internally and how you interact with the external community around us. So the first uh, I talked about two weeks ago was hospitality. Again, maybe something you wouldn't normally find on a church uh, values list, but I think for me, it's something I want to talk about again and again because I believe it opens the door for relationship and meaningful conversation, which for us, especially uh, as adults, where it's just kind of easy to settle into what we think and what we think about the world and what we think politically um, and outside of some sort of like social media debate, we don't really engage in important conversations with many people. We tend instead to talk about sports or how miserably, oppressively hot it is or whatever else. Uh, And so, you know, we believe that this practice of hospitality to share table, to share food and carbs with somebody uh, opens the door for meaningful conversation uh, because we have this core belief that meaningful change happens in the context of relationship. Uh, Caitlin and I on this trip we just took uh, read through this book called Maybe You Should Talk to Somebody and it's it's written by this therapist who's also going through therapy and is so interesting. Um, but I found that powerful that even she, it's this secular book, is making that comment. That meaningful change for these people that I see happens in the context of relationship. Part of that's in their relationship with their therapist, uh, but nonetheless, she's telling these stories of people in their lives. Um, <clears throat> hospitality is this practical uh, tangible way to give honor and value to the people in our lives. And I believe that glorifies God. Uh, And then Mark talked last week about variety, which would be the second thing on that list of values. Um, And really what we mean by that is that we value the whole family of God in all of its uniqueness, right? We value all of God's children and all of their uniqueness, that God intentionally made us very different from one another in all sorts of ways. And then, in, in, because of, of our difficulty to sort through that, Christ uh, has, has shown us that he has the power to tear down every wall that divides us. All of those things, all of those differences that so often turn us against one another, divide us into all of these subgroups, um, and you see that in our, in our not just divided but divisive world, uh, that Christ has shown us his intention to overcome every single one of those barriers. And I think, personally, that's one of our greatest opportunities to be a city on a hill, a light in a dark room, an example of a different way of living to show that you don't have to be one homogenous thing in order to be deeply 
unified. And then the next three we're going to talk about are depth, community, and mission. It's the depth. Why depth? And what do we mean by it? Uh, I think the challenge is I mean a lot of things by it. Um, we value deep relationships. We value deep thinking. My goal in, in, in pastoring this church is not to just, you know, me to do a lot of study and then chew it up and baby bird it to each of you guys so that you can repeat whatever Casey thinks. Like, my sincere hope is that you would be deep thinkers, thoughtful people. Uh, I appreciate those of you who, who send me questions and show me that you're not just swallowing whatever I give you, that you're questioning with great humility. Uh, we long to be deep people, to hold our convictions deeply, and to feel deeply. And ultimately, I think the thing we find, as with all things, is this has its root in God himself because God is deep. In Jesus, we find someone who thought deeply, felt deeply, who lived with deep conviction and clarity. And so I think in that sense, the invitation to follow him is an invitation out into the deep, an invitation to live out of our depth, so to speak. I think of Jesus saying, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And a lot of the translations actually translate it that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think of John saying in John 1, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then saying, out of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. The sense that everything from God is abundant and vast and deep. That he draws from deep wells when he offers us something. That there's no economic principle of scarcity when it comes to God. He is not stingy and he is not lacking. I think of Jesus inviting Peter literally out into deep water to come walk to him on the waves in Matthew 14. I think of Jesus' personal invitations to each of his closest followers, which in hindsight you recognize, like these people had no idea what they were signing up for, right? The things they see, the things that they would hear, the, the lives that they would lead, and ultimately the death that they would die. They were out of their depth. I think of Jesus in Luke 10, he sent out 72 disciples uh, saying, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick. He just says it so matter-of-factly. I feel like if I was in that crowd, I'd be like, uh, I've seen you do that, do I? <laughs> do I know how to do that? <laughs> yeah out of my depth. I think of Paul writing the, the letter to the Philippians from prison, still on mission, right? Prison didn't pause the mission. It was just the next part of it. In prison, still doing ministry. I think of uh, Psalm 36. Some of you guys will be familiar with this one. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. 
Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. The fountain of life just keeps going and going and going. Paul in Ephesians 3 writes to the yeah, Christians at Ephesus. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, Power to what? Power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then again in Philemon 1, we see him say, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. We look at those passages and we see God drawing from deep wells, from fountains that don't run out. We see Christ inviting those who would follow him to live out of their depth, to live lives that depend on his power and provision. We see Paul praying that Christians could grasp just how deep God's love is and that we could understand every good thing that we have and share because of Jesus. Pray that you would have power even to understand, to wrap your mind around these lofty things, right? These lofty realities. You know, you hear those stats about the ocean. I had to look them up this week because, like, in my brain, I was like, surely it's not that insane. It is that insane. Our our world is 70% ocean, four-fifths of that. 80% of the ocean has never been mapped, explored, or even seen by humans. Never even seen. And then you recognize that We're not just talking about that. We're talking about the being that created that. Not only has he seen and does he know every bit of it, he had the power to speak it into being and fill it up with all sorts of insane creatures, right? Like fish that have the light, you know, (laughs) hanging down from their forehead, right? We can't even physically get to all of the nooks and crannies that God has made. And that's just on our own planet, right? You start looking at the sizes and distances and numbers associated with the universe, and you will start feeling unsettled in a hurry. Now ask yourself, do you think you've got a pretty firm handle on God? I think every so often we need those reminders, those unsettling reminders that give us a right-sized view of ourselves, of our place and time and in the world and of the things that we value. We need to be reminded that we, in fact, have not reached the end of our learning. We haven't yet plumbed the depths of who God is, of what he offers to us, 
and what he has in store for us. Again, I come back to that prayer in Ephesians 3 uh, that I read in the NIV, and I love this paraphrase of it in the message. He says, And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Full in the fullness of God. If we, with all of our cumulative technological power who put men on the moon. Actually, Layla probably doesn't believe in that. She's kind of conspiracy <laughs> theorist girl. You know? uh, who put men on the moon. You know, if we are not finished plumbing the depths of our own oceans, I would dare say we are not finished plumbing the depths of its creator. Yeah. I have a, a brother-in-law that lived in Chicago for a while years ago, and he's not a huge sports fan, but he does have a Cubs hat that he likes to wear. And one night we were out at this restaurant, uh, and the waiter comes up and was like, man, how about those big trades, right? And I, I knew Caleb had no idea what was going on. And so I, uh, I spoke up. They had, you know, just traded some big names from their World Series team, which they hadn't won a World Series since, like, 1908. And so these guys are, like, forever enshrined in, in Chicago lore, right? Uh, and so now it kind of signals the sense of, like, the rebuild starting and so it was a big thing so he's asking Caleb about it and and Caleb has no clue and uh, I thankfully have all sorts of useless sports knowledge from <laughs> teams that aren't even from my city and I don't care about um, and so I speak up and and have a little back and forth with the waiter and then he walks away and we all just kind of laughed because Caleb was deer in headlights uh, doesn't actually know the Cubs he just likes the hat uh, and to be fair, it's a cool hat. You know, the team's been around forever. Uh, it's over 100 years of baseball, so it's got this kind of classic thing about it, all of this tradition attached to that just simple blue hat with a red C, you know. And then for him, it connects him with this part of his life when he lived in Chicago, so it's, it's sentimental and, and nostalgic or whatever. But occasionally, that's happened that night, and then somebody sees him wearing the hat, and they're like, oh, this guy knows the Cubs, right? When in reality, he's just got the hat. Um, <laughs> but I wonder sometimes if that's where we find ourselves with God, right? We have this sense that we know who God is. We've, we've met him, maybe, genuinely. We've read about him. Maybe we've even been blessed to have some sort of spiritual experience, something we can't necessarily really explain or put into words, but we knew in this deep way that God was involved. Uh, and because of that, it gave us faith that he's real, that he actually exists, and maybe even more importantly, that he cares enough to be involved with me. And so in that sense, we, we know God, right? Nonetheless, I read the words of Paul and Jesus and others and can't help, at least at times, to feel this certain sense of, of separation. When I hear them talk about God, when I watch them live out this life of faith, when I see Paul in prison saying, I eagerly and expect and hope that I, in, I will in no way be ashamed, but I'll have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, 
whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or in Philippians 3 when he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Again, I feel a certain degree of separation when I read something like that. When I read a man saying, I want to participate in Christ's suffering and become like him in his death. That has not made it to my prayer list yet. I don't know. But I think what we're witnessing is this guy who knew God, right? A guy who had more scripture memorized than you and I likely ever will. And yet he's saying, I want to know God, right? I want to know him in ways that only happen when life experience makes the the head and the heart collide in a way they haven't before. I want to know him in ways that can only come from sharing the experiences that Jesus had. I want to know him in ways that can only come by weathering storms together with him by my side, grieving together, and then starting new together. I don't just want to know in my head that Jesus can command storms. I want to be in the boat, afraid for my life, and watch him do it. I don't just want to know in my head that God will catch me if I fall. I want to be so far out on a limb that that's my only hope at that point, right? I don't just want to know in my head that Jesus has the power to heal disease and brokenness. I want to be there when he does it, holding the hand of the healed. In this same passage, Paul essentially says, everything I've ever valued, I realize, is now worth very little, if not outright garbage. Everything I took pride in, all the things that made me feel good and feel accomplished, it was all a sham. Even if it wasn't in itself inherently bad, it was just nothingness, like a Cheeto puff or veggie stick, right? <laughs> like it had this nice satisfying crunch or something, but you realize it's just 97% air. It has no <laughs> nutritional value. But he says, but praise God that he woke me up, right? Praise God he showed me where to find steak, and now that I've tasted that, I'm done with veggie sticks. I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, he said. Paul took a swan dive into the life of Christ, and we today sit here as a direct result of his faith and relentless desire to know Jesus and make him known to others, right? God, decades from now, may there be many that look back and say the same about us in this room, right? God is deep in love. He cares deeply. People matter to him. Justice matters to him. Brokenness matters to him. Vulnerable people especially matter to him. The earth matters to him. He's deep in love and he expresses that love indiscriminately. God is deep in wisdom and understanding. And we would do well to drink deeply from that well. God is deep in mercy, gentle, 
and humble and hard. He came to save, not to condemn, John says in John 3. He came for freedom, to release prisoners, as Jesus announced in the synagogue as he read from Isaiah. As I said in the beginning, I think the invitation to follow Jesus is by nature an invitation into depth, to live in the deep, to live out of our depth, an invitation to become deep people. And I think most of us can get behind that piece of it, right? None of us want to be accused of being shallow. But there is something inside us clinging with a death grip to the lives we've built, lives of comfort and safety, lives that we can manage on our own, lives that feel secure. But to that, I will say emphatically to you today, you were never intended to live a life like that, a life that you can manage without God. And I would dare say much more plainly that there is no life apart from him at all. You will find eventually that the life you chose apart from him was full of the rubbish Paul discarded when he found the real thing. He is calling you into the deep. Caitlin told me uh, the story. My dad used to do something similar, you know, uh, when growing up, when they were swimming, they would, you know, wrap their arms around his neck and he would say, I'm taking you deep, deep under. And then he would, you know, dive down to the bottom of the pool and they were just kind of along for the ride. And when you're little, like, that's, that's a trip. I, as an adult, I'm like, what did I do in the pool for so long? I could stay in the pool all day, and now I'm just kind of standing there, and I'm, what did I used to do here? I don't, I think I'm done already, yeah. yeah but, you, but when you're little, like, the pool's a magical place, you know? The deep end especially. When you're young, you're not allowed over there. It's not a safe place. But it's safe to go there with Dad, right? Dad can handle what's there. With dad, the danger's gone because you're with him. With dad, you get to experience the whole pool, even the parts that were inaccessible to you before. And that, in essence, is this prayer I've invited you to pray. It's this request, God, take me to the deep end. God, I don't want to stay in the shallow end of life. I don't want to stay where it's safe. I want to go deeper, and I want to go there with you. For some of you, I think the appropriate prayer is, God, take me deep for the first time. Take me to a place that only you can take me. For some of you, the prayer might be, God, show me why I would ever trust you enough in the first place to throw my arms around your neck and let you take me somewhere I haven't been before. Some of you need to ask God to forgive your cowardice and to help you overcome your fear. Some of you need to ask God to deepen your love for others and to draw you out of a self-focused existence. Some of you need to pray like Paul, God, make my head and my heart collide. I don't just want to wear the hat. I want to plumb the depths of your love, of your character, and of your wisdom. I want to know you in ways that only come from shared life. I don't know what the prayer is for you. I think only the Spirit 
can awaken your heart to that. Uh, but if he is, if he is now, I would just encourage you to make a note and to come back to that. Not to let that flutter away, you know, over the course of five conversations that you have after church. Uh, come back to it. So as we have the past two weeks, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And then we'll transition to taking communion together. So worship team, you guys can come on up if you want. I think we might have that, sermon, that prayer somewhere, but if not, maybe close your eyes uh, and just repeat this with me. God, call me into life with you. A life that demands your power and provision. And give me the faith to answer that call. God, call me into life with you. A life that demands your power and provision. And give me the faith to answer that call. Amen. If you'd like to take part in communion with us, uh, these guys are going to play some music. You can, we'll go row by row. You can come up the middle. Uh, I apologize for how janky this table is looking. <laughs> We're going to take some new steps when we move in that sanctuary. We've got all new communion stuff. So it'll be another fun thing next week. But yeah, come up the middle, uh, take the elements, return to your seat, and I'll come up and pray for it, and we'll take it together in just a moment.